0: Hi, this is Bob Bro. Welcome to the best old-time radio podcast. This week we are going back in our archives and we're going to play a Boomer Boulevard show that was first heard on January the 4th, back in the year 2016. Hope you enjoy it.
1: It's half past 8 exactly, Mr. Dillon.
2: I better get it out of the safe now.
0: any older another year has gone by it's 2016 but you don't look any older boy it's hard to believe isn't it it's 2016 and here we are january 4th is the day that uh, this show is going to make its debut and it's just hard to imagine that we're already this far along hi everybody this is bob bro welcome Welcome to Boomer Boulevard for 2016. We're happy to have you along. We've got a great show lined up tonight. We have an episode of Escape, which is really good. Then we have an episode of uh, The Frontier Gentleman, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that. It's one of my all-time favorite episodes. We have an episode of uh, The Jack Benny Show. And then, of course, we're going to walk down the streets of Dodge City, Kansas with an episode of Gunsmoke. Great lineup. Glad to have you aboard. And it's all going to get started in just a minute. we're going to start things off with an episode of Escape. This uh, is one of my favorite shows, Escape. I I, I just loved it. It likes suspense. It was a fairly low-budget show, really. Suspense was always supposed to um, emphasize more emotional challenges that people had, whereas Escape, they say, emphasized more physical-type challenges, people that were faced with really overpowering adversaries or had to fight the environment, that sort of thing. Anyway, they were designed to help people that, uh, really to escape, escape the idea of their everyday world and kind of use their imagination. This one tonight's a really good one. It was, uh, let me just find my notes here. It was originally broadcast on May 31st in 1953. It's entitled A Good Thing. It was written by Kathleen Height. it was directed by Anthony Ellis, and it features John Daner and Jack Crucian, who appear as two anthropologist brothers who have penetrated deep into the jungles of Papua, and they're on a mission to observe headhunters. All kinds of possibilities there. Let's go back to 1953 and this episode of Escape.
3: You are in the heart of a Philippine jungle, searching out an Igorot village whose people are practiced in savagery and headhunting, while your civilized companion is coldly making his plan to see that the first head taken will be your own.
5: Listen now as Escape brings you Kathleen Heights' exciting story, A Good Thing.
6: This time Matthew found me in a filthy flea bag of a hotel room in Manila. Before that it had been Shanghai, Rangoon, Cape Town. Name your port of call.
7: Come on, boy. Come around.
8: Come
7: on. All right. All right. Come on, Dan. Dan. Right. Come on, snap two. You really tied one on this time, didn't you? Well, no. we've done it before. Yeah. Here, boy. And catch. Easy, Easy boy. That's Easy. No, no, no. well, you. How long have you been like this? Uh, this time. Too Too long. Found me. You always send for me, Dan, in your own unique fashion. I send for money. Give me the towel over there. (laughs) I always check on my
6: investments. Next time, just send the money.
7: Won't be a next time here. This time you're going with me. Yeah. You know him now. I think you'll get a kick out of this, John. I'm going up in the back country of Nueva Akiha. Get material for my book. No expedition, no fancy trappings. Just you, me, and the Igorots. It's just you and the Igorots. No, it'll be good for you, Dan. We'll get you in shape. Rest up a bit before we strike out. (coughs) And we'll get all that stuff boiled out of your system. Might even get you to quit hating yourself. I know. You think you hate me. Maybe you do. All I know is you're my brother, and I'm not going to let you go completely to pieces. <coughs> makes you feel great, doesn't it?
8: <coughs>
6: it's there when I want it. Yeah. And it never talks back. It's printed on the label. Sixteen full ounces, no platitudes.
7: Do you have any clothes except those on your back? A travel light. Any, that's the square, uh women to play Kate. before we clear out of here? You crazy fool. You really think I'm going with him? Might make it as far as Gapan tonight. We'll put up with Cass for a while. He'd like that. Cass? Yes. Mm-hmm. You mean Cass Bledsoe? Sure. He's still around. Must be in his middle 60s by now. He's fatter than ever and richer. I see him a couple of times a year, I guess. Thought maybe you'd forgotten Cass. It's been a long time. It had been a long
6: time. But Cass Bledsoe was one guy I'd never forget. I used to hang around his plantation near Gapan when I was a kid. My old man was an engineer in the islands. I knew a good thing when I saw it, even then. And Cass had it made, but good. A lot of cheap native labor, all the money in the world. (laughs) That's what I call a good thing. That's what I'd look for all my life. Brother Matthew... I hated his insides. I always had. It wasn't so bad when he was off somewhere, but when he was around, I thought I'd blow my core. I hated him that much. He had me this time, though. I I was flat broke, and he knew it. I had to go with him. You see, no one's
7: done exactly the kind of study I want to do on the Igorotes. The, uh, the, The lecture can wait till we get to Cass's. Come on, Dan. Admit it's not a bad idea. I think it's a lousy idea.
6: Go on, Matt. Tell Cass all about it.
9: Yeah, explain it to me. I've lived on the fringe of the big Country for years. I never gave a hoot what makes the Igorotes tick. <laughs> you stubborn
7: old baboon, you still won't give a hoot even if I do explain it to you.
9: No, now I'm interested. I really want to know. Do you know, Daniel? Unlike you,
7: I don't give a hoot. <laughs> Dan and I will have to do a lot of talking together before we go in. Well, briefly, the. Mm. Mm, it's good. The, yeah. the thing that's intriguing about the Igorotes is this. On the one hand, they're a tribe of highly developed skills, uh, mining principally. They live in orderly villages and practice monogamy and generally lead productive, peaceful lives. But uh, me, sir. Yeah, here. Oh. Well, on the other hand, some of these same people are thoroughly pagan and practice headhunting. And you want to mm. know why, you got it? Mm-hmm. 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 Partly, I want to know where the schism is in the tribe. You know, what makes one group completely diverse from the other. There's a link of development that's... Just missing, and I want to know what it is and why it is. And
9: just the two of you are going in there to find out? Well, I've got a theory that large
7: expeditions marching in, setting up camp and equipment, and whether well, to simply drive the natives farther into the brush. But Daniel and I can go in, make friends with them, and very quietly observe them. They'll get used to us after a while, and I, I, I really believe that we can come up with some important data. <laughs> anyway, it's worth a try, isn't it, Dan? That's what you keep
9: saying. And I know, and I don't understand. What gets inside a man that makes him blaze trails, risk his life to track down this data for a book no one but professors will give a hang about? You, Daniel, what drives you to do it?
6: Matthew. He thinks the other pagans and I will get along just fine.
9: <laughs> oh, don't misunderstand me, uh, Pastor Pineapple, will you, Matthew? Mm-hmm. I admire I thank you. Your... Whatever I'm it sorry. is... Matthew here will tell you, every time I see him, I marvel at his plans. I listen and admire him all the more, but I never quite understand. All I know is I wish I'd had some of the quality when I was young enough to do something about it. <laughs> you're always making me sound like a bloody hero, Cass. I'm not at all.
7: This drive, you call it, so something, well, you're born with it. You, well, you're, you're
9: born with it. Money! Huh? Money. And an inherited capacity for doing nothing. In a very elaborate fashion. That's what's wrong. Everything was always too dad blamed easy.
6: Is that bad? Do things have to be tough? What's wrong with money, especially if someone just hands
9: it to you? Man needs challenge in his life. I never had any. But thank heavens I can appreciate when I see it. I'd turn this whole blasted plantation over to Matthew in a minute. Just to feel as if I'd done one worthwhile thing in my fat life. But he won't hear of it. (laughs) And he calls me (laughs) stubborn. I'd lose money for you. You know it. You would not. You'd have a hundred innovations going before the first week was out. Ever see him tackle anything and not come out on top, didn't you? Never in my whole life. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I wouldn't think much of you if you're any different than you are. And if they'd give me the years back... And let me have another try. You wouldn't do it any differently than you have. <laughs> all right. I think you're right. But I know this much. I'll never turn this place over to a bum like me either. <laughs> I'll let Yolo run it first. <laughs> uh, where's one? I'd like some coffee. Oh, yeah. Yeah, guess we all need some.
10: One. YOLO, uh, sir, coffee, sir. YOLO, bring fine coffee. Good, YOLO. And don't forget... Also bring brandy. Plenty brandy. Good boy. All round, huh? Yes, yeah. yeah, sir. Yeah, please. Thanks, YOLO. Hi, YOLO. How's the reading coming? YOLO, very fine read. Thank you, sir. Good. Oh, this is my brother, YOLO. Daniel,
7: this is Cass's prized possession.
10: Pleased uh, to meet you, sir. Very pleased. Hello, YOLO. Yolo, read about Mr. Dan. In uh, place, uh, Lion's Den. What? (laughs) Lion's Den. (laughs) Tell Daniel what you think of Matthew, Yolo. Mr. Matt, uh, very fine man, sir. And uh, what do you think of me? Uh, Mr. Cass, very rich man. (laughs) (laughs) You see, Daniel, I've raised his
9: ingrate as if he were my son. And he thinks more of Matthew than he does of me. (laughs) The
6: love feast went on and on and on Every time Cass took another slug of brandy He'd hand the plantation over to Matthew again And warned the boy Just kept handing it back I had time We were going to stay on with Cass for a few days And hard as it was in my insides It looked smart to come off as a carbon copy of Brother Matthew The drunker he got The more old brandy bloat Began to look like a good thing to me A real good thing I was a model boy those next few days.
7: Now, if we start out early enough in the morning, Yolo thinks we can make it to... Yeah, yeah, to this clearing right here. by tomorrow night. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what does Yolo know about? Well, this country's the back of his hand. Hasn't Cass told you? Yolo's a Negro. His family still lives back up in the hills. Okay, okay. So we're here tomorrow night. Yeah. When do we hit the first village? Well, about mid-afternoon the second day. We'll set up headquarters there and work out of there as soon as we know the territory and make a few friends. Mm. Sounds real cozy.
6: Mm. All right, guess we're set then, huh?
8: Mm-hmm.
7: Dan? Yeah? You're doing a good job. I'm proud of you. Thanks. It's a long time since we've really been brothers. It'll be a good thing this trip.
10: Yeah,
6: I think so.
11: There yeah! you! i you still
10: awake? Yeah, come on in, Cass. Come in. I
9: couldn't wake Matthew. Oh, no wonder, no wonder. Thought we'd just have a little drink together. To the Igaros,
8: huh?
9: Uh, Dan
7: will have a nightcap with you, Cass. I want to talk to Yolo again and then hit the side. All right, all right, all right. See you in the morning, Cass. Yeah? yeah all right. Night, Dan.
6: Yeah, nine. You, uh... Sure you need that drink, Cass? Yes?
9: <laughs> you sound just like him. Pretty sure I don't need it, boy. Pretty sure. I don't need most of them, I take. Pretty sure. I don't. Here. Okay. Eager Oats? To you. To you and Matthew. Safe journey. Safe. Thanks. Ah. <coughs> I don't know you like I know him. But you've got something. I can tell. Something. Doers. That's what you are. Amount to something. Never did myself.
6: Look, you're pretty hard on yourself, aren't you?
9: Guts. You've got guts, both of you. Guts. Never had any myself. Never. You've done all right without them. Listen, boy. (coughs) Listen. Don't let anything happen to Matthew like a son to me. Don't know you or I know him. I know this, though. <laughs> You're a bad one. <laughs> a lot of devil in you, like me. Uh, Matthew uh, just like a son to me. Man needs a son. And when you get back, if...
1: You get
6: back. I I, uh, I uh. It was like carrying a beast whale, packing him off to his room, loading him into bed. I made him comfortable. If the drunken old fool was shopping around for a son, I'd make it easy for him to find one. Matthew and Cass had one more good-natured exchange before we left the next morning. Cass killed me. Didn't even have a hangover.
9: To be my way or I won't let you go, Matthew. If you're idiot enough to go in and pay court to headhunters, I'll at least have the satisfaction of knowing I sent you in good hands. Well,
7: Cass, you can't. Yolo's your right hand. You need him here.
9: Just let him lead you to
10: his old village. Then he'll come back. Won't you, Yolo? Yes, sir. Make berry past with Yolo to lead. No trail, very good. Also, help making uh, friends. Well, you'd be a big help, Yolo, sure. But, Matthew,
6: uh, I think it's a good idea if Cass can spare him a few days.
9: I certainly can. can. Besides, it'll make me feel as if I'm doing something for you. At least you can You're do it.
7: All right, it. Uh, yeah, all, all right. But you hurry back to Cass as soon as we're safely in the village, Yolo.
9: Yes, sir. Yolo, understand. Well, that's better. And you, Daniel... Any young man who can lift me in my full load of brandy is worth having around. Anytime Matthew doesn't need you, let me know.
6: Well, thanks, Cass. I remember that. <laughs> Yolo picked a path forward through the thick undergrowth, and I kept looking back with the marked signs that would lead me out again when the time came. By evening, Yolo had nosed out a little clearing. We made camp there. I watched Yolo in the firelight. His eyes kept darting out
7: into the night, his
6: head cocked, listening.
7: Near as I can tell, we must be about halfway between Gimba and Bunga Bung, What does that mean? Just that tomorrow afternoon should see us in Yolo's home village. You did a good job, Yolo.
10: We wouldn't be this far without you. Uh, Yolo, very slow. Tomorrow, do better. You sleep. Yolo, watch and listen. Yolo, what kind of sound does a headhunter make? No sound. All very quick. Mr. Dan have no fear. No? Why? Not have a fine head like Mr. Matt. (laughs) That's a dubious honor. Headhunter think soul in head. See, Pinehead, cut off. Make Hunter very smart, fellow. Put head in ground. Make crops grow.
7: They won't come after us unless we trouble them. Don't worry about it, Dan. Get some sleep. Yeah. Apparently, I don't have a thing to worry about.
6: Yolo routed us out and on the trail early the next morning. I got so I could sense the path. Look around at the brush, know where the footing was. We made good time, and by afternoon we could see the village ahead. As we moved closer, Yolo seemed somehow to become wary, his head snapped in all directions at the slightest sound. But finally, he led us into the clear, flanked by huts on all sides. What few natives we saw backed away and disappeared at the sight of us.
7: They're more frightened of us than we are of them, Dan. Smile. Must smile, show them we're friendly.
10: Over there. What, my family. We go there.
7: You go on. Tell them we're friends. He'll know what to do. What we do is much more important. Just smile now. And don't panic.
10: In here. This hut. You go in. Hut all empty. You go in.
7: Come on, Dan. I hope you know what you're doing. They'll see we didn't come to harm them. Once they're sure of that, they'll come back. Come on inside. Yeah. Just keep Yolo handy, that's all. Don't worry about
6: Yolo. Yolo! Yolo, come back here! Look at that. Run out on us first chance gets. Come back here,
8: you dirty... Come here, fool! Dan!
7: Let him go. He did his job. Now just calm down. What are you, a brave man? It's just that I've been through this kind of thing before. Natives always run fast. And they steal back to take a look at you. If you convince him you didn't come to destroy him, you're all right. Yeah, well, I think you're nuts. Well, I'm not. Now, right, come on, lie down. Take it easy, Juan. Right. I'll keep watch. Dan, we don't have a thing to worry about.
6: I didn't expect to sleep, but I must have. Because when I opened my eyes again, it was dusk. The brush was alive with sounds, but there was another sound, a rumble of voices out in the clearing. Voices that seemed to come closer to the hut. Matthew stood in the doorway looking out.
7: You awake, Dan? Yeah. yeah. Some of the natives are coming back. It's all right. You stay inside. I'll go out and meet them. Don't you let them in here. No, they won't come in. Just stay where you are. And don't make it tough for us. Uh, white man, one big friend. You see? Good. Good. The white man, no knife, no gun. One big friend. Want to meet chief. Meet Chief, uh, uh head fellow,
0: my friends.
6: He yes. stood there with blank faces as Matthew did his great white father act. I took it as long as I could.
0: Blazed <laughs> hey, away.
12: They yeah. ran, but I just couldn't stop
7: shooting. Stop it! Stop it, you crazy fool! Stop it! I got him out of
12: here, didn't I? Stop it! Give me, the, I give me that
7: gun, Tom. What's the matter with you? You hadn't done anything? They wouldn't have hurt you? You're
6: nuts! I told you I thought it was a lousy idea. I didn't ask to come here, you know. Give him back my gun. Right.
7: Here. You sent us back days and weeks. I suppose you meant to, but I've worked a long time to get ready for this trip, and you just blew it with half a dozen bullets that should never have been fired. All right, all right. Tell me all about it on the way back to Castle. We're not going back. We're not sitting here. No, we'll have to go on to the next village and hope we make it before the news of what you did reaches there. No, I know you're nuts. If
6: you're smart, you'll clear out of here with Dan, me. Dan,
7: Dan, now come on. Just settle down. All right, now. We've made a bad start. We'll start over. I'm going back. Get used to it. You can help me if you stay here. I don't want to help you. If you give it a real chance, this could do you a lot of good, too. Dan, I've got to stay here. I want to. This book's important to me. Don't tell me what's good for me. All right, all right, Dan. Have it your way. Go back. I can't stop you. That's right.
6: (laughs) You know... You know, I, I think you're right, brother... I think you've got to stay here. Well, that's one thing we agree on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll sort of like
7: thinking of you out here.
11: <laughs> it's
7: such a stinking place. All right, Dan. You've made your point. I think I'll check the supplies.
6: you never get that far. Uh. <laughs> Mr. Mott. One fine head, eh?
7: What? <laughs> Good lord, uh, Dan. Uh,
8: oh, don't, uh, God, <laughs> Dan. 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 Oh, Dan.
6: Ah. Uh, I'll write you book,
8: brother. <laughs>
6: felt good, 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 because now all I, all I had to hate was the idea of him. My nerve held until I got to the part about his head. I, I couldn't do it. All night long I, I tried to find a nerve, but I, I couldn't. By morning I picked him up, hauled him out into the brush. It wasn't a sign of life. I dug a grave, crammed him into it, pulled the thicket back over it. (sighs) would make a good story. Everyone would figure him for a hero's death, and that's how he got his. uh, At the hands of (laughs) headhunters. Two days later, Matthew's weary brother, Bramble, scratched and sick with grief, stumbled into Cass's plantation and told the sad
9: news. Poor Terrell. It must have been horrible. Oh, it was awful. You don't know how awful... Take it easy, son. I know how you feel. (laughs) But it was his life. He was doing what he believed in. Uh, I want to go back. I want to get a party and go back, clean them all out for what they did. I know. But you won't. I won't let you. I tried to stop Matthew. I've got to stop you. I'm so tired, Cass. And you'll get rest, a long rest. Then we'll talk about plans. Don't try to think now. No, No, it's no use thinking. I can't help him now. Any more than I could help a man. Don't beat yourself, son. You did everything you could. I thought Yola was the answer. But I guess, huh? Yolo. He ran as soon as we hit the village. And he didn't show up when the trouble started? No, no. He headed back here like he was supposed to. I told him to stay in the background. He was supposed to be there when you and Matthew needed him. He... He isn't here? He didn't come back? May have reverted to type. They do sometimes. I thought I was giving my boys some protection. Cass, I think I'll go lie down. I, I feel sick. Sure, sure, son. Sure. Mr. Cass.
10: Yola. Cass. Yola, come back. Yola. Yola. Hey. You promised to watch after them. are there, Mr. Cass. Yola there all the time. No, you lie. You're lying. You're lying. I saw you run. No, Mr. Dan. No. Yola, stay. Yola, bring back... Mr. Matt, come, you see. But his head, Daniel, you said. Head all right. Body dead. All shot. Mr. Dan, no. All shot.
5: Under the direction of Anthony Ellis, Escape has brought you A Good Thing by Kathleen Height, starring Anthony Barrett as Daniel and John Daner as Matthew. Featured in the cast were Herb Butterfield as Cass and Jack Crucian as Yolo. The special music for Escape is composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. Next week... You are
3: living in a new and fabulous land, surrounded by all that is generous and kind, while your hosts, heedless of your pleas, are planning as is the custom of their country to kill you in a strange and terrible
5: manner. So listen next week when Escape brings you a fantastic adventure in The Voyages of Sinbad. Tomorrow night, CBS Radio Suspense stars Ronald Coleman in Vision of Death. It's a thriller-diller well calculated to keep you at the edge of your chairs from beginning to end. Also, tomorrow night, and most of these same CBS radio stations, don't miss the initial performance on the Lux Summer Theater. William Holden stars in Maxwell Anderson's High Tour to raise the curtain on Lux Summer Theater's new series. This is Roy Rowan speaking. Remember, America now rides to the tune of 25 million auto radios and listens most to the CBS Radio Network.
0: originally heard on CBS back on the 31st of May in 1953. That was Escape, and the name of that episode was A Good Thing. We're going to take a little musical break here. Do you remember this Cal Smith song? It was popular back in 1974.
13: Walked into the bar and parked his lanky frame Upon a tall bar stool And with a long soft southern drawl Said I'll just have a glass of anything that's cool A barroom girl with hard and knowing eyes Slowly looked him up and down and she thought, I wonder how on earth that country bumpkin found his way to town. She said, hello, country bumpkin. How's the frost out on the pumpkin? I've seen some signs, but man, you something. Where'd you come from, country bumpkin? It was just a short year later In a bed of joy filled tears Yet death like pain Into this wondrous world of many wonders One more wonder came That same woman's face was wrapped up In a raptured look of love and ten She marveled at the soft and warm and cuddly boy child Feeding at her breast And she said hello country bumpkin Fresh as frost out on the pumpkin I've seen some sights but babe you're something Mama loves her country bumpkin Forty years of hard work later In a simple, quiet, and peaceful country place The heavy hand of time had not erased The raptured wonder from the woman's face She was lying on her deathbed Knowing fully well her race was nearly run But she softly smiled and looked into the sad eyes of her husband and her son And she said so long country bumpkin The frost is gone now from the pumpkin I've seen some sights and life's been something See you later country bumpkin He said, so long country bumpkin. The frost is gone now from the pumpkin. I've seen some sights and life's been something. Something familiar.
12: Something
4: peculiar.
12: Something for everyone. A
8: comedy comedy tonight.
5: Something appealing, something appalling, something for everyone of tonight. <laughs>
13: nothing with kings, nothing with crowns.
12: Bring on the
5: lovers, <laughs> liars and clowns. No situation, no complications.
4: Nothing portentous or polite.
8: Ready <laughs> tomorrow of <laughs> comedy <coming> tonight. <laughs>
0: For our Comedy Corner this week, we are going back to 1953 for an episode of The Jack Benny Show. In this one, Jack parodies a film that was released that year entitled Wings of the Hawk. The film featured Van Heflin, Abby Lane, and Julie Adams. And it was a film about a miner, I think it was either a silver miner or a gold miner, that was caught up in the Mexican Revolution of 1910 when a corrupt administrator appropriates his mind. It was sort of a well-accepted movie at the time. I don't know how much money it made. One of the things that was unique about it, it it was one of the original movies that was uh, produced in three dimension. Remember in 1953 when 3D was a big deal? I think it started off with Buona Devil with Robert Stack, and then there was uh, House of Wax with Vincent Price. Well, this was one of those that was uh, from that time period. And if you look at the original poster, it says, In Technicolor and Three Dimension, Wings of the Hawk with Van Heflin and Julie Adams. So let's listen to Jack Benny Has Some Fun With It from his show that was originally broadcast November of 1953.
14: program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Rochester, Dennis May, Bob Crosby, the Sportsman Quarquette, and yours truly, Don. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, for 20 years, I have been introducing the star of our show, and after all this time, you'd think I'd run out of nice things to say about him. Well, I have So here he is, Jack Benny
2: Thank you, thank you, thank you Hello again, this is Jack Benny talking And Don, that
14: wasn't a very nice introduction Well, I'm sorry, Jack After 20 years, I just couldn't think of anything new Oh, you couldn't, eh? Well, Don, I'm sure that if I were introducing you, I wouldn't have that trouble. Oh, oh, yes, you would, Jack. You've been saying the same things about me for years. Now, I'll bet you can't say anything that I haven't heard before. Oh, yes, I can, Don. What? You're fired. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we'll proceed Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jack You're not serious, are you? Well You can't fire me After all, I've got a wife and three chins to support
2: Don, Don, stop worrying You've been with me for 20 years And I hope you're
14: with me for another Oh, hello, everybody Well, hello, Dennis Well, hiya, kid Oh, by the way, Dennis, you weren't at any of the rehearsals this week. Was anything wrong? Oh, no, Don. Mr. Benny gave me a few days off so
12: I could go away for a little vacation. I sure enjoyed myself. I went fishing on Lake Mead.
14: You know, I wish I could go away and do a little fishing. It's one of my favorite sports. What a thrill it is to hook a silvery rainbow trout. One of nature's loveliest creations. What a sight as it breaks the water in a shimmering shower of glistening drops and the sunlight reflecting on its iridescent
8: beauty.
2: Look how he describes the fish. Me, he can't say anything (laughs) nice about it.
12: What are you mad about? <laughs> nothing, nothing. Uh, say, Dennis, how long were you at Lake Mead? Oh, we were there for a whole week, and I spent all my time out on the boat. A whole week on a boat? Havass, there, you land lovers! Laugner the starboard and drop the anchor! Look, Dennis... Ship him the timbers, a timber man the pumps, so we'll all drown like rats!
2: Dennis, that's enough. Ahoy,
12: well, hardy's batting down the hatches and pooping down the poop deck! <laughs> That's enough, Dennis, do you hear? Mr. Christian, stow that talk, or I'll swing you from the highest yard arm in the British fleet.
14: Oh, Don, see what you can do with them. Not Dennis, Jack's right.
12: Why don't you. Let the men mutiny me, Hottie, and don't worry, the ship may be rocking and pitching, but I'll sail it through this hurricane, or. Or.
2: Or. Dennis, what's the matter? I'm seasick. Good, good. Now, look, Popeye, it's time for your song. So let's have it. (laughs) Aye aye, sir.
15: your mind because your mind because your mind And here, it's only my poor heart you hear, and it's a plug.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, for our feature attraction tonight, we're going to do our version of that exciting new picture, Wings of the Hawk, which was produced... Say, Jack.
11: Huh? Oh, what is it, Bob? Well, before you go into that sketch, I'd like to ask you a little favor. A favor? It's really not for me. It's for my brother, Bing. You see, he just built a brand new supermarket here in town. Bing? Build a supermarket? Mm-hmm. Grand opening's tonight. And there's going to be lots of celebrities there. And Bing said that he'd appreciate it if you'd come and help out.
2: Well, well, does he want me to play my violin? Mm, no. Oh, he just wants me to tell jokes? Huh? No. Well, then, what does he want me to do? Buy something. <laughs> well, he's got a fat chance. <laughs> Maybe maybe I will drop around. But, Bob, I can't understand. With all the deals that Bing has, why does he want to fool around with a
11: supermarket? Well, Jack, this isn't just any old supermarket. It's a super supermarket. It's big, you mean? Big. Why, at one end, you can buy strawberries, and at the other end, they're out of season. (laughs) Gee. Why, you have to go through the frozen food department by dog sled. No. And when you cross over into the meat department, you lose a day. Well, look at Bob.
2: (laughs) Now you're exaggerating. But I'll talk to you about it later, Bob, because right now it's time for our play. Oh, the sketch, huh? Yes. Tonight we're going to do our version of Universal International's Technicolor production... Wings of the Hawk
14: Say, and I heard that picture's just chucked full of adventure and excitement And
2: how? You know, the other night I took Mary to see it And she sat on the edge of the chair all through it
12: She had to, you only bought one ticket (laughs) True, true Now,
2: Bob, Don, and Dennis You all have important parts in this play Bob, you have the role of a colonel in the Mexican army A cruel, ruthless, greedy man Who lets nothing stand in his way and I'm going to take the part Van Heflin played, That of a rough, tough gold prospector Irish
12: Gallagher You're Irish Gallagher?
8: <laughs> That's
12: right Oy vey
2: Never mind
15: <laughs>
2: Now, Dennis... In this sketch, you're going to play the part of an old, old prospector, see? Then you come in later as a Mexican bandit.
15: Gee, two
12: parts. It's hard to believe. I can sing, too. Yeah. (laughs) Now, where's Mel Blanc? Here I am, Jack. Folks, it's Mel Blank. Give him a big hand.
14: We're all going to be in the play. Why did you give just him applause? Don, I have to. It's in this contract. You mean you give him money and applause, too? No money, just applause. Look, <laughs> it's getting late. So, Don, set the scene, will okay. you? Okay. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we present our version of Universal International's exciting adventure story, Wings of a Hawk. <laughs> Our story takes place in Mexico years ago. It's a time of war and revolution, for the is being torn by the bitter struggle of the insurrectos against the federal troops.
2: My name is Irish Gallagher. My partner, Don Carlos Wilson, and I were prospecting for gold in the Mexican hills. Don Carlos Wilson was a hard worker. Day after day, he dug under that blistering sun And I never left his side I couldn't He was the only shade for miles (laughs) We worked on
14: and on with only an occasional interruption Irish, Irish, it's the Federalist, and the insurrectos Keep digging, Don Carlos But they're shooting at each other, we're right in the middle Oh, Oh, what have got me in the arm Keep digging. Oh, would cut me in the leg.
2: Keep digging.
8: Three days later,
2: Don Carlos was still standing, but there was
8: very little shade. We
2: kept looking for gold. After two months of fruitless effort, Don Carlos and I found ourselves walking the streets of Tampico.
14: Well, Irish, looks
2: like we're about the end of our rope. Yeah, this is awful. No money, no equipment, no place to sleep, nothing to eat, nothing to drink. Now, let's see what we can do in this saloon. Hey, the place's quite crowded. Hey, barmaid Barmaid
16: Si, senor What will you have?
2: Give me three fingers
16: Three fingers of what?
2: Just three fingers I'm hungry (laughs) If I don't get something To eat pretty soon
16: Hey Aren't you the one They call Irish Gallagher?
2: That's right And this is my partner Don Carlos He and I came down here Looking for gold Yeah,
14: gold Every time I think of it I go crazy Gold, gold I can see it now There it is, there it is And it's mine, it's mine Gold, gold Put that down, that's the cuspidor
2: <laughs> You know, sister, he goes crazy Every time he thinks of gold
8: Well, does
1: not gold mean anything to you?
2: Yeah. I can take it or love it I mean, leave it <laughs>
14: Come on, Don Carlos, let's get out of here Wait, wait, Irish weird luck See that little fellow over there? That's Goldbug Day
2: (laughs) Yeah, he was Goldbug Day The fabulous old prospector who found gold every time he went out Don Carlos introduced me to him
8: Goldbug
14: Day, want you to meet Irish Gallagher Howdy, bub (laughs)
2: I hear that you know all about the gold in these parts, and I thought maybe you'd come up into the mountains with us.
12: Sorry, son, but I'm too old for that now. There was a time when I used to go up in them there hills, stay for months and months at a time, but then it would get me. I was only human, you know. I'd have to come back. Be back in town with a load of gold in a couple of nights, I'd blow it all in. Women, eh? No, Kleenex. I've got hay fever. <laughs> Look, Bud, if you won't go with us, maybe
2: you can tell us where we can find gold.
12: Why, sure. Here's a map of old Mexico. See? You can't go wrong. You take the main road through Tampico till you pass El Paso. After you pass El Paso, you go through El Thruo and turn left at El Lefto. (laughs) What if we turn El Righto? That's El Wrongo. (laughs)
14: Why don't you come and show us the way?
12: Nope, I'm too old for prospecting now.
14: Well, we go alone, Irish. Tell me, are you sure there's gold there?
12: Yes, sir, lots of it. Enough to make one of you rich for the rest of your life. Only one of
14: us? Yep.
15: I hated to do it. John Carlos
2: was my best friend. I still felt I might need a guide, so I made one more attempt to get the old prospector to go with me.
12: Are you sure you don't want to come along with me? Nope. Can't do it, but I'll see you later. You will? If I come back on page 12 as a Mexican bandit. <laughs>
2: Uh, wait a minute. Those four Mexicans who just came in. They look suspicious. Who are they? Oh, they're harmless. They're just wandering troubadours. Oh, buenos dias, amigos. Hmm, we we think. think. Come on, boys. Let's have a song. Zampico,
5: Zampico, on the Gulf of Mexico. Zampico, Zampico.
15: That's the place for you to go. Dampy go,
8: dampy where man all place in Mexico.
15: On the Gulf of Mexico, we just sit around and talk. On a lucky, sure enough. Lucky strike, lucky strike. As a better taste we like. Don and one and Pedro too. They smoke lucky's just like you. From some
5: there's a lucky in everyone's sister and it pleases every Missus and Mister,
8: my uncle, my aunt, and my
5: sister. Ellis M, Ellis M, Ellis there is nothing like popping a lucky. Be happy and go lucky strike,
2: After they sang a few more songs, I left and began my expedition and I finally found the spot the old prospector marked on the map. I began digging, and sure enough, I struck it. A six-foot vein of pure glittering gold. It was so beautiful, I couldn't understand why people get mad when you call them yellow.
8: (laughs) I started to dig
2: out some of this fabulous treasure. A troop of horsemen swooped down on us. (laughs) I realized it was foolish to resist, so I waved a truce flag. As several of them approached me, I recognized their leader as a cruel Colonel Ruiz. And I knew I'd have to play it cagey.
11: Senor Hombre, I hear that here you have discovered gold. Here, I think, Senor Hombre. Yes.
2: I would have to play it cagey because he was playing it lousy.
11: <laughs> what did you say, Colonel Ruiz? I hear that here you have discovered gold. Gold? There's no gold around here. Senor Irish, we are not ones to fool around, and we happen to know that you have found gold here. All right, so what about it? My general has a proposition to make to you. Well, let's have it. Si los matamos,
12: que cargar con todo por la tanto coja. Usted el oro y What
11: did he say? He gave you Notre Dame and six points. <laughs>
15: hmm.
2: I shot him. I may be Irish, but I need better odds than that.
8: <laughs> but the
2: Federalists had us outnumbered. They killed my workers and took the mine. I had to flee into the hills for my life. After wandering for days, I stumbled exhausted into a camp of insurrectos. At first, they were suspicious, but finally, one of them came over and shook my hand. You want to shake hands? She. Sí. <laughs> And I consider you my friend? Si You will always help me? Si <laughs> The insurrectos gave me food and drink I was about to be on my way When suddenly there was a stir of excitement What is it?
12: What's happened? It is our leader, Raquel She has been wounded
2: Your leader is a girl?
12: Si, senor I am Raquel, their
4: leader
2: Well I'm awfully pleased. Wait a minute. Weren't you the barmaid?
16: Si, senor. But on this show, everyone has to play two parts.
8: Uh, Raquel.
12: Raquel, there's blood on your shoulder.
16: I know. I've been shot. The bullet is still in there.
12: Senor, there are no doctors here and no time to lose. Can you remove the bullet?
2: I'll try. Now, Raquel, there's no anesthetic, and this knife is going to hurt. I know. You'll have to be brave.
16: I will try.
2: Don't lose your nerve.
8: I won't.
2: Okay, here we go. Mm. Mm. There. It's out.
17: Pick him up. He fainted.
2: (laughs) When I came to, Rockell and I were alone and she was stroking my hair. She was gorgeous. With smooth olive skin, luscious lips, and a figure like Marilyn Monroe. As I continued looking into her adoring eyes... A thought came to me. <laughs> what was so bad about Notre Dame and six goals? <laughs> Raquel <laughs> spoke to me. She wanted me to join her band of soldiers, but I was more interested in getting my gold. I turned to go. Someone pulled at my sleeve.
12: Oh, señor Irish, señor Irish. What is it? Uh, before you leave, I would like you to meet my little six-year-old San Tomas. Oh, hello, Tomas uh, Tomas, he is learning to be a magician He does a wonderful act on the stage with his sister
2: Really? So you're a magician, eh, Tomas? Si sí. Do you have an act? Si sí. With your sister? Si sí. What is your sister's name?
10: Sue Sue? Si sí.
2: Well, what do you do when your act? Saw. What do you saw? Sue.
10: Sue? Sing.
2: Now, wait a minute. Somebody put you up to this. Who was it? Me. You? See. Si. Who are you? Sigh. See.
6: Si?
12: Si.
2: Nuts, I couldn't sigh straight. And suddenly, out of nowhere, the Federals attacked. One by one, they cut us down, and then Rockwell was hit. We fought desperately, but Raquel and I were captured and thrown in jail. That night, I couldn't sleep a wink. The cell was cold, wet, and filthy. I didn't mind that so much, but all night long, the wind kept whistling through Raquel's shoulder. <laughs> This morning, they blindfolded us and marched us out to the courtyard.
11: Oh! Ready! Aim! Wait. You can't shoot me down like a dog. Give me a break. Give me a chance. I tell you what I will do, senor. I give you a fighting chance. You take off your blindfold. Now, here is a weapon for you and a weapon for me. What? You count to ten and may the best hombre win. All right,
2: I'll count to ten. One, two... Three. Ooh, not yet. Four. Five. Six. Seven. Eight. Ooh, I think you're cheating. Nine. You missed me.
12: That's better.
16: Ten. Ooh. Irish, Irish, why didn't you shoot back?
2: I couldn't. He gave me a knife. As I lay there dying, I reached for a piece of Kleenex. On top of everything else, I caught hay fever.
14: The Jack Benny Show was written by Sam Perrin, Milt Joseph Berg, George Walters, Tom Packerberry, Hal Goldman, and Al Gordon, and produced and transcribed by Hilliard Marks. Be sure to hear The American Way with Horace Height for Lucky Strike every Thursday over the same station. Consult your newspaper for the time. The Jack Benny Program is brought to you by Lucky Strike, product of the American Tobacco Company, America's leading manufacturer of cigarettes.
4: This is the CBS Radio Network.
0: From 1953, that was the Jack Benny Show and his takeoff of the film Wings of the Hawk, one of the first 3D films from that year
17: will you ask me if I'll forget my baby I guess I will someday I don't like it but I guess things happen that way you ask me if I'll get along I guess I will way. I don't like it but I guess ba do ba baro, ba do
18: ba God gave me
17: that girl I guess I will every day I don't like it but I guess things happen that way You ask me if I'll find another I don't know I can't say I don't like it but I guess things happen that way God me But I guess things happen that
0: way All right, we've got something really good coming up now. I'm going to play an episode of Frontier Gentlemen that I haven't played in a number of years. For any of you that have been following me for several years now, you, you probably will remember this one, because I have often described this as one of the best produced single episodes of any radio show I ever heard. Unfortunately, I never had a really, really good, clean copy, uh, but I do now, and that's why I thought I would play it. This one is entitled The Well, and there's just so many things that are done right about this, this episode. Starting with the beginning, listen to Kendall's uh, description of this house as, as he uh, sees it for the first time and meets this little girl and uh, the mother. It is almost poetic, the way it was written. And then listen to the sound effects throughout the show. They're outstanding. But one of the things I really enjoy about this, this starts off as a typical story about uh, cattle ranchers versus uh, land farmers. People are trying to get the homesteaders off the land. But then, in the middle of the story, something happens that makes the whole story turn on a dime. Suddenly, the protagonists and the antagonists come together as a cohesive team. And it's just outstanding. So here it is. This is Frontier Gentlemen from June the 15th, 1958, and one of the best episodes of any radio show you were ever going to hear. It's entitled The Well.
7: In the plains country of Wyoming Territory, I met a homesteading family. This is an account of how they lived
4: and nearly died. Frontier Gentlemen.
7: I came across the shack in the mid-afternoon. It seemed to spring out of a slight depression in the unchanging flatness of plains, this isolated cabin with its miniature corral. And startling against the sun-browned earth, the tiny patch of green lawn. As I drew closer, I saw a child, perhaps three years old. She hugged a shapeless lump of calico in her arms and stood quiet in the doorway, watching gravely as I approached. I called hello to her Her eyes remained on me Wide, grey-blue The only reaction to my voice A tightening of her hands About the faceless doll I saw the window A flap of canvas serving for glass Rough-hewn logs Ill-fitting The chinks filled with baked earth At the side of the cabin A few yards away Was a well With its rope And an iron bucket I looked back to the child But she was no longer there Instead, a tall, flaxen-haired woman stood in the doorway, a Winchester held in her hands.
16: Dingle, your spurs, mister. Go on.
7: I'm sorry. I didn't mean to frighten you. I wondered if, if I could have some water, put the horses well, I'd be willing to pay.
16: You alone? Yes. We're not used to strangers riding this way. Where are you headed? Laramie. Oh, that's a long ride. (laughs) I know. Your horse looks tired. Better watering. Oh, thank you. Uh, uh. I got nothing for the horse to drink out of. You'll have to use your hat.
7: It's all right.
16: this it's not much but it's the biggest pan i've got no
7: no really dear. the horse doesn't mind my hat he's used to it
16: never mind poor oh
7: thank you oh it's been a hot day
16: it's about the same as usual i'm sorry about the rifle mister
7: yeah, it's all right no
16: i'm sorry my husband's away he won't be back so late he's just the baby and me
7: i understand
16: i guess it's easy to forget hospitality out here I'm sorry that water's some brackish. Wally's digging a new well around the back, but it hasn't hit sweet water yet.
7: I'm very grateful. Um, would you. would you take this, please? Oh,
16: no. We don't take money for water.
7: You know, I wondered about your grass over there. It's
16: pretty, isn't it? My sister sent the seeds from home, from the east, Connecticut. Oh? That's where I'm from, before Wally and I got married and came out here. Do you know Connecticut, mister?
7: Yes, I've been there.
16: You have? Where? Richfield? Do you know Richfield?
7: No. New Haven, though. I've been there.
16: Oh, that's fine. Just fine. Oh, imagine. New Haven. You must be one of those Yale college
7: men. <laughs> no. Isn't the way you talk. No, I'm English.
16: I could have sworn it was New England. Boston, maybe.
7: How long have you been out here?
16: A year now. We lived in St. Louis before that. The baby was born there and... <laughs> Listen to me chattering on. I- I guess it's just that we don't get much chance to talk to folks from the East.
7: I can understand.
16: Can you? Can you? Well, I declare, we, we haven't even been introduced. I'm Meg Calder.
7: J.B. Kendall.
16: Mr. Kendall, why don't you come on in and have some apple cornbread? I just made some this morning.
7: Oh, well, it's kind of you.
16: It's pure selfish, that's what it is. I want to hear about New Haven and the like. You'd best put your horse in the corral. I'll make some coffee. <laughs> It isn't like using fresh apples, real apples, but I guess we're lucky to even get dried ones out here. Mm,
4: really? Mm. Good,
7: Mrs. Colburn.
16: Will you have some more coffee?
7: Mm, please.
16: Annie's taken quite a fancy to you. She usually hides when strangers are about.
7: She takes after you her eyes, hair. You think so? Annie.
16: Anne Meredith, after my great aunt. Anne Meredith Honeycutt in Ridgefield. Ah. She's a little shy, Mr. Kendall. You see, she can't talk. Oh, well, she'll be... I mean, she never will. She was born with an affliction. But she can hear, and she understands some. She knows her name and Mama and Dada. Don't you, baby? Come on, sit on Mama's lap.
7: (laughs) What brought you out here, Mrs. Calder?
16: The land. We're homesteading. Wally knows a lot about farming. He figures when we get enough water, we'll raise wheat and grain. Barley, maybe. He says, we've got to raise it to feed cattle. There'll be money in that.
7: It must be hard work digging wells. Oh, it
16: is. That one that's drying up, it's only 40 feet. The other one behind's down 50. Well, he thinks maybe another 20 feet will get him water. Uh, he's gone to the Allen boys to borrow another spade.
7: <laughs> you mean he's digging it alone?
16: Oh, yes. When we first set up here, a fella came riding by, and he said he could locate water for us, and he surely did. just used a fork stick, and he pointed right to the spot. He was a preacher kind of man, helped Wally dig, and Wally paid him five dollars.
7: Must get rather lonely for you. I mean, when your husband goes away.
16: Mr. Kendall, I haven't seen a white woman for a year. I don't think there's one for a hundred miles around. Mrs. Manning used to live north, 30 miles from here, but she and her family... all but Ed Manning, they got killed by Indians just before we came here. Don't do that, baby. Of course, we haven't had any trouble with Indians, but... I do say I sometimes worry being alone with the baby.
7: I should imagine.
16: I hope you don't mind. Mind? Me, talking on like a jaybird.
7: Oh, I don't mind at all, no.
16: Annie, where are you going? Annie? Oh, that child, I declare. It's Wally! A
18: stranger came by, named Kendall, on his way to
16: Laramie. Mm. Didn't you get the trouble? No,
7: no, there's trouble. Alan's place was burned (sighs) down last night. Oh, wow. You better get Annie in. I don't want her outside. Come on, Annie.
18: Come on, then. Come on. Kendall? Yes, you're Calder. Pleased to know you, but you better be moving on. There's likely to be trouble.
16: What is it? What happened?
18: A called Selfridge, him and a bunch of cattlemen. They figured to run all the homesteaders out. But
16: why?
18: Well, they say we've been killing their range cattle.
16: That's not true.
18: I know it isn't. That's what Alan told them. They gave him and his brother a beating, then fired the place. Alan says he'll be heading this way.
16: Oh, Wally.
18: Mister, you better hit the trail.
7: Oh, if I can be of any help, I... Well, there's not much we can do. There's a bunch of them. No, No, well, I mean, if they come here, what's going to happen? I don't know. I guess I'll
18: send the wife and kid over to old man Hovland's place, and I'll wait here. I'm
16: not going. We've got a right to our land. It's all legal. You've got the papers, Wally. You can show them. Meg,
18: papers don't matter. They want to get us out of the territory. This thing's been coming for a long time. Alan told me, all over the country, cattlemen trying to chase homesteaders out.
16: They won't chase us.
18: You've got to go up to Hovland's and take the kid, Meg. There might be shooting.
16: You listen to me, Wally Calder. It took a year of wanting and all this spring for me to get that grass patch out front. I'm not giving it up. I'm here. Here I'm going to stay, and no cattleman nor anything else is putting me out.
7: Can't you get protection from the law? Mister, the
18: law is 130 miles from here, and they're not partial to homesteaders either. Well, in that case, it might be just as well if I stay here, just in case you need another gun. (laughs) Well... I'm obliged to you, Kendall, but if this Selfridge and his pals are looking for someone, it isn't going to be any healthier for you than for us. I'll take the chance with you, at least overnight. Hmm. Not much of a place to bed down. Meg can fix you up with a blanket. Oh, well, sure
16: I can. I've got a quilt, too. Not that you'll be needing it in this weather, Mr. Kendall.
18: I'd best see to feeding the horse. Meg, you break out that hunting piece. There's shells back of the bureau top drawer.
16: All right, Wally.
18: I'll give you a hand, Mr. Calder. Her name's Wally. I'd be much obliged. I, uh, haven't said anything to Meg, but I've been expecting something like this. Started up last winter, I guess. What happened? Oh, a lot of cattle died. It was a hard season. Well, you know how it is. Yeah. I came across a couple of poor critters myself, froze stiff, so... I skinned them, took the hides... Wouldn't do the cattle any good. I sure needed them. Huh? So the cattlemen are saying fellas like me killed their beef. That they didn't die a natural death. Oh, Watch out for the post. Oh, I don't. It's loose.
7: Yeah. Gotta fix that one of these days. I think you're going to have visitors, Wally. Hmm?
18: Uh, must be them. Selfridge and his boys. How many can you see? Uh, three... Now uh, four.: Yeah, four. Come on, we'd better get back to the cabin before they get here.
7: Meg Calder was waiting for us in the doorway when we reached the cabin. I noticed an ancient hunting rifle as well as the Winchester leaning against the wall. Child Anne was huddled in a corner, still clasping the calico doll in her arms. We watched the riders as they approached across the plain, and their gallop slowed to a canter, a walk, and then they stopped a few feet from the little grass patch. One of the horses began to nibble at the green shoots.
16: Mister, get that horse of yours off my grass.
3: I called her. I ain't gonna make a lot of talk. You got a kid inside you got one hour to get her and your missus packed and out of here.
18: You got it all wrong. We're staying. You get off my land.
3: Homesteaders ain't wanted around
18: here. Alan's already told me about that. You think you're going to burn down my place? You got another thing coming. Now,
3: me and the boys, we don't want no shooting.
16: You don't get that horse of yours off my grass. There's going to be shooting right now. Meg, Meg, come back. Back him up now. Go on. I'm not telling you again.
11: Put up your gun, man. We ain't got no quarrel with women.
16: No quarrel? What do you call it, then? To trying to throw us off of what's rightly ours.
10: (laughs) Oh, man, she sure is a live dictionary, ain't she? Oh, come on, Jack. They ain't going peaceable. Let's get started. I wouldn't. Who are you?
7: A friend of the Calder's.
10: Uh, another sidebuster, huh? (laughs) Well... You better make a nine in your tail, pard. We don't want your kind around here. Now, I ain't got no personal quarrel, call, you called her, but this
11: here country is for cattle. Fellers like you ain't gonna come in here killing our stock. I never did.
1: Oh, come on, Selfridge. I will not want to stop around here all day wrangling with this
3: home sucker. Let's start burning. You take it easy, Flag. You're gonna give them an hour, like I said. Oh.
7: I have an idea it's going to be the longest hour you ever waited, my friend.
11: I ain't your friend, mister. I don't want no mavericker like you for a friend. One hour, Calder. Then we're coming back.
16: Yeah. Yeah. One hour!
7: They don't seem to think you mean what you say.
16: That's the trouble. Nobody puts up a fight against them. Well, they'll learn something from me. My great-grandfather, Silas Honeycutt stood off a whole regiment of redcoats with Putnam. No offense to you, Mr. Kendall. You being English and all. Mm,
18: no offense. Uh... What do you think, Kendall? What are our chances?
16: Wally Calder, You're not going to... Now,
18: wait a minute, Meg. We've got to think about the kid. Not going to be much use if she's got no ma and pa to care for her. Those fellas mean business. We put up a fight, they'll be killing. Maybe on our side. I'm not afraid. But there are other places to start up again.
16: Wally, if you want to go, you go. I'm not stopping you. Me and Annie staying. You do what you want...
18: She's some woman, you know, Kendall. I know. Yeah.
7: I asked, what do you think? Well, I can't answer, Wally. It's up to you. Yeah. She
18: sure takes good care of that grass, doesn't she? You know, we figure on planting vegetables as Annie? soon as we get the new well dug. Annie!
16: Wally! Did you see the baby come out?
18: Oh, no, she was inside. But
16: she's gone. I can't find her. Hmm.
18: Annie? Honey? Annie? Annie?
16: Annie? She isn't here. Why? Did you look
18: behind the stove? She likes to hide behind. I looked. Perhaps she went out while we were all outside.
16: Maybe she got frightened. Annie? Annie,
18: baby? You go around the other side, will you? Look in the corral. She likes the horse. Maybe she's there.
7: next 15 minutes, we searched. I could see Selfridge and his men about a quarter of a mile away, watching us. I found no trace of the child. When I returned, I saw the calder standing beside the mouth of the new well behind the cabin. I joined them and felt a cold chill as I looked down into the darkness at my feet. She... she couldn't have, honey.
16: Oh, maybe she did. Maybe she's down there. No,
18: she knows about it. We showed her. We told her to stay away. Maybe she
16: didn't understand. Maybe she was running, scared and fell, and she's down there. No. And we can't hear her because she can't cry or shout or anything. And she's lying there, hurt or dead. No,
18: Meg. No, she's just hiding somewhere. We'll find her. Eddie! No.
16: Eddie! On, now, don't. It's your fault. It's you making us come out
8: of here in this terrible place with dirt, not enough food. No. Why? Honey, Why?
18: we'll find her. She'll be all right. Now take hold of
3: yourself. Mate. They're back. It's self.
16: I don't care. I want my baby. Wally, <laughs> you've
15: got to find her. Yeah.
3: Ain't <laughs> hey, noticed you're ready to leave. The
7: child is lost. Did you see her come out of the cabin?
9: No.
15: No,
10: I didn't.
7: Quint, you see her? Nope.
10: Well, I
1: guess maybe I did. While we was talking, where'd she go? Round here at
7: back.
8: Molly! You think she <laughs>
7: fell in the well? Well, we don't know.
18: How deep is it? About fifty feet. Not right that deep. Oh. You called to her down there. Well, it wouldn't do any good. She can hear, but she can't talk.
1: It's a longish fall. I wouldn't figure it'd be alive. Shut your no. fool mouth, <laughs> well, Flagg, will you? Calder, you, uh, you sure
18: she's down there? No, but she isn't anyplace else. Now, what's it like down there? Rock? No, no. Mostly soft dirt. You
1: know, dirt. She, she could be all right, little kid like that. They can take a fall pretty good, you know.
18: Now, that ain't much support, that soft dirt. Like not you'd get a key, in. He's aiming me. to fix that, but... Well, maybe she's not even in there. Yeah. Get
7: a rope, Wally. Somebody's got to go down to find out.
1: Not me, no, sir. I heard uh, about black damping them wells. No, 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 sir. I ain't ready to set myself to up now. Well, I ain't going Here. down there. I
18: have got
1: a proper windlass.
18: While, Just been tying the other end of the post there. Good. She holds good. Now, hey, you fellas pay it out. Sure. I'm going down. Right. Wally. Hard You'll be careful. Oh, get behind me, yeah, flag. Yeah. Get behind him. Hold. Oh, no, no. Okay, I got yeah. you. No.
8: No. Bell, slow.
1: You got the flag? Yeah. Oh yeah. Easy now, Easy.
7: Slowly. Slowly. There's a lot of loose dirt falling. the Slowly. Wally, shout out when you're on the bottom.
8: Honey. All
1: oh. right. Watch out. You got a hand oh. caught in that hitch. Oh, <coughs> yeah, all right Now, right now. Yes, yeah, go ahead. He's down. He's down. Right, right. He's
8: down. here.
16: Wally, is she all right? Wally. I
7: don't know. Bring her up, Wally. Tie the tie the rope under your arms. Hold her. We'll pull you up.
8: Yeah. Some slack. Some slack.
7: Let us know when you're ready.
8: Lord, please, please, oh Lord, deliver us,
1: I pray. Oh, now, Missus, she's gonna be all right. Now you see, she's gonna be just fine. Sure,
10: taking a sweet time.
1: You
7: ready?
3: Wally, are you ready? What's the matter with him? Calder, do you want us to
4: pull up?
1: It's gone slack again. It's a black dance guide, and that's
7: what it is. You keel over. Wally, can you hear me? I'm going down after them. Be ready to pull up fast when I give the word. I went down into the well as quickly as I dared my feet unavoidably scuffing the walls of the shaft, sending showers of dirt to the bottom. As the circle of light diminished over my head, I became aware of a stale heaviness in the air which became more pronounced with every foot of the descent. Then I was at the bottom, and I could dimly make out the form of the child, and huddled beside her, Wally. As I made a hurried loop of the rope under my arms, I began to feel lightheaded. It was an effort to pick up the child, to hold her. Take me up, up. Then, as the ascent began, and the air became fresher, I felt my senses returning, and with them the realization that the little girl's heart was still beating. Is she all right? Annie. Annie. She's alive. She's alive. Take her. All right. Now you come on out. I'll go down for cold. No, no time. Send me down. Harry. You'll have to bring us up together. I knew now what was meant by black damp. Some form of gas which gathered in the bottom of the well. This time I breathed as sparingly as possible. At the bottom I put Wally Calder over my shoulder and then began the never-ending journey to the surface. The light above me became dimmer and dimmer. I felt Wally falling, slipping off my shoulder, my grip on the rope weakening, weakening.
8: Mr. Kendall?
16: Mr. Kendall? Mr. Kendall? Kendall? Oh, there. That's better.
7: Oh, I... Oh, how did I... They pulled
18: us out, Kendall. Oh, I don't remember. They said you had a grip on me like to twist my neck off. Oh, I'd like to thank them. I already did. They didn't feel like waiting. Oh? No, they just kind of stood around a couple of minutes and figured they'd better get back to the ranch before night. How's the little girl?
16: Some bruises, but that's all. Oh. She's asleep now.
18: (laughs) We... Meg and me, we just wish there was something we could do. If you want, you can share our place with us till you find a likely site for yourself. I'll help you build, Kendall. I'll give you a year's work for what you've done for
7: us. Oh, Oh, thank you. But I suppose I'm what you'd call a wandering man. I'll stay the night, if I may. Then in the morning, I'll go on to Laramie.
16: And after Laramie?
7: (laughs) I don't know, Mrs. Calder. I don't really know.
4: Frontier Gentlemen was written, produced, and directed by Anthony Ellis and stars John Diener as J.B. Kendall. Featured in the cast were Virginia Gregg, Vic Perrin, Larry Dobkin, Jack Crucian, and Harry Bartell. Dan Coverley speaking.
0: What do you think? Do you agree with me? I really do feel that the production value on that show, the writing, the sound, the acting was just just made it one of the best best episodes, single episodes of any show that was ever broadcast on old-time radio that I've heard. There's a few to rival it, Gunsmoke had one that I really like called The Piano. Maybe we'll play that in the weeks ahead. That's that's a close rival. But oh my, (laughs) this one just almost brings tears to my eyes. It was just so well
8: done. now oh
0: tell by the music, it is time to go back to Dodge City, Kansas, in the 1870s for an episode of Gunsmoke. And tonight we have a good one. This is a John Meston script that features our regular cast, plus also John Daner and Lawrence Dopkin. And it was uh, originally broadcast on CBS on May the 27th in 1956, and it's entitled Manhunter.
3: Well, what's your hurry, Chester?
1: Oh, hello, Mr. Dillon. Uh, I'm going to the stable.
3: No, what for? Are you leaving town?
1: No, sir. Uh, Hank Young's over there. I got to see him.
3: Well, I'm not doing anything. I'll go with you if you don't mind. Well, good.
1: I run into Mr. Bowers, and he asked me to give Hank a message for him. Oh. No. Well, Hank is a real nice fellow, Mr. Dillon.
3: <laughs> well, I didn't say he wasn't, Chester.
1: Yes, sir, I know but I was just thinking there ain't many fellows around here steady and peaceable as he is.
3: I guess that's one reason Bars has kept him working at the ranch for so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, there he is. Where?
1: Uh, cinching up his saddle with his back to us there. Certain... Oh, yeah. Mr. Jones, I'm going to surprise him. Walk easy, huh?
12: Gotcha.
3: No, 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 Hank, no. Look out, Chester. Now, take it easy, Hank. Oh, Marshal. I didn't know who it was. You shouldn't come up on me like that, Chester.
1: Merciful goodness, I guess I shouldn't. Now, where's my gun? Oh, there's my
13: gun.
3: Just a wonder it didn't go off, you hitting at me that way, Marshal. How come you're wearing a gun, Hank? I don't think I ever saw you with one. I have wore guns before, Marshal. No, I, I meant around here.
5: Well, maybe not around here.
3: Uh, Hank?
1: Uh, Hank, Mr. Bauer is going to be an hour or so longer than he thought.
5: He is, uh? huh? right, you tell him I'll see him out the ranch.
3: we got work to do out there. So long. So long. So long, Hank.
1: My, I guess I really upset him.
3: Uh, something sure has.
1: Hank ain't never acted like that before. We're always kindly teasing each other.
3: Well, I wouldn't worry about it. Dillon? Yeah?
7: Yeah, I want to talk to you, Marshal.
3: Well, go ahead. My name's
7: Quillen. Ben Quillen. I've only been here a few days... I've been meaning to get acquainted, but uh, I thought I'd do a little scouting around for myself first. Now, uh-huh. Uh, what's the name of that man you were just talking to, Marshal? Well, why? Oh, he kind of fits the description of a fella I've been hunting. you see I'm a
3: deputy sheriff? Huh? There's my badge. Deputy Sheriff, Prescott, Arizona. Yeah. I got papers to prove it, too. Hey, yeah, you've come a long way, Colin.
7: I think it's gonna be worth it, Marshal. Here. Take a look
3: at this. What is it? It's a warrant for Ike Abbott. Prescott, Arizona, July 6th, 18-something. It's kind of smudged. You here. read the description. Hmm. You
7: don't Ike Abbott sound like your friend who just left? Sure does to me. Same height, same build. Same kind of face, brown hair and eyes.
3: Just about everything.
1: Is that true, Mr.
7: Dillon?
3: Well, it uh, fits generally, yeah. But what's he wanted for? It's a warrant for his arrest, Chester. He's charged with murder.
7: Hank? We heard he was hiding out around Dodge
3: somewhere. He's been here about three years, hasn't he? Yeah, just about. Why didn't you make your arrest a few minutes ago, Quillen? I wanted to be sure, Marshal. And I also want to talk to you first, after all this is your territory. Hank's wearing a gun, Quillen. Does he know you? No. But I've been asking around about anybody from Arizona. He must have heard about it. Well, I guess I'll
7: ride out and take him.
3: No. What? Hank Young's ready to fight. I don't want to kill him. I'll go. You mean you'll bring him in for me? Well, if I'm sure he's the man you're after, then I think I can find out. Okay. Well, watch your step, Marshal. He's already killed one man. Don't no worry, Quillen. So have I.
1: Sitting in the bunkhouse door, Mr. Dillon. I thought he said he had work to do.
3: He had nothing special to do except get out of Dodge. You think he's going to make trouble? Well, I hope not. Hello, Hank. Marshal. Chester. Hello, Hank. Looking for me. There are a couple of things I want to ask you, Hank. You go right ahead, Marshal. You've known me about three years, right? About that. And you know, when I go after a man, I generally bring him back. So you do, Marshal. Is that why you put your gun away?
1: Well, I declare he ain't armed no more, is he?
3: No, I ain't. Well, you tell me the truth, Hank. You always dealt fair, Marshal. I'll tell you the truth. Well, there's a deputy sheriff in town named Ben Quillen. He's got an Arizona warrant for Ike. Abbott's arrest. I thought so. Was it murder, Hank? That how that warrant reads, Marshal? Mm-hmm. Figured so. What else you want to know? You still haven't told me why you put your gun away. Done some thinking on the way back here. Knowed they'd sent somebody after me, but... If I killed him, I'd just have to face you next. I wouldn't be getting nowhere that way. All right, Hank. Come on, Chester. Let's get back to town. Mister Dillon, are we going to take Hank back? I said, let's go, Chester. Chester.
1: Good morning, Mr.
3: John. Ben Quillen been here yet? Oh, I just got here myself. Oh, didn't you sleep here last night? Well, see, no, sir, I didn't. Oh?
1: Uh-huh. I ain't never going to set up all night playing poker again.
3: Oh, uh, I was kind of hoping you'd maybe uh, grown poker. <laughs> I'm getting there. Morning, Marshal. Chester. Quillen. Good
7: morning, Quillen. Well, Marshal, did he put up a fight?
3: No, no, there was no trouble. But he is the man I'm after. He's Ike Abbott, isn't he? Yeah, he's the man.
7: Well, I sure do, thank you, Marshal. Now, if you'll turn him over to me, we'll be on our way and I won't be bothering you no
3: more. I didn't bring him in, Quillen. Why not? Well, I guess maybe I didn't have the stomach to arrest a man who's been a friend. Who's never caused any trouble around here. That
7: don't keep him from being a murderer. And I've got a legal warrant for him.
3: Then you go get him.
7: I thought you didn't want no killing.
3: He isn't armed. You've caused me to waste a whole day, Marshal. Why don't you go get your man, Quillen, and get him out of here? I don't want any part of it. You admit
7: he's a friend of yours, Marshal. I just hope you're not trying to trick me somehow. Because I'll hold you responsible. (laughs)
16: What's on your mind tonight, Matt?
3: Well, Kitty, it sure isn't drinking beer and sitting around the Long Branch.
16: You know, you sometimes act like you've been schooled in a slave market.
3: (laughs) Drink your beer, Kitty. I'm buying.
16: Oh, you are? (laughs) And I take it all back. Oh. What? Here's Ben Quillen. Now I know what's been bothering you.
7: (laughs) Marshal, I want to talk to you. Well, what's your trouble, Quillen? You gave me to the believe there'd be no trouble with Hank Young or whatever you call him. Was there? He wasn't armed, Marshal. At least he didn't lie about
3: that. And just what did I lie about, Quillen? About them four friends is What friends? I don't like being made a fool of, Marshal. I don't
7: like going after an unarmed man who's hiding behind four shotguns.
3: Ah, I see. You trying to tell me you didn't know about it? No, Quillen, I didn't. You swear to that? You can take it or leave it. All right, I'll believe you. Providing you ride out there with me. I can't face them men alone and be suicide. It's your party, Quillen. I'm not getting paid to make your arrests. You wouldn't be scared, would you, Marshal? I think we've talked just about enough, Quillen. All right. I'll telegraph Prescott. I'll get me some
7: authority for some deputies.
3: Wait a minute, Quillen. What? You meet me at the stable in the morning. I'll go with you.
7: Here they are, Marshal, waiting for us. are we going to shoot it out against four men with shotguns, Marshal. You just keep
3: out of it, Quillen. Hello, Hank. Gentlemen. This here ain't my idea, Marshal. The boys just heard about everything. I can't talk them out of a fight. That's right, Marshal. Ain't nobody
12: taking a friend of ours off to Arizona.
3: Warrant or no warrant? Now listen, you men. Hank Young's a friend of mine, too. Isn't that right, Hank? I always thought so, Marshal. But you know me well enough. If any man needs taken in, I'll take him in. He'd kind of like walking into a cannon, won't it, Marshal? Maybe. But more than one of us will die. Now, hold on. I don't want a lot of blood spilled over me. Just because just I killed a man 12 years ago is no reason any of you men should die now. Wait a minute. Quillen. What? You got that warrant with you? Of course I have. Let me see it. Well, oh, come on, let me see it. Well, I don't know what for. Give it to me. Have you seen it once? What are you looking for? Well, is something wrong with it? No, it's legal, all right. You can give it back. Yeah. Hank, I've changed my mind about taking you today. Now, wait. Marcia. Shut up, Quillen. Will you come into my office three days from now, Hank? We'll settle this thing then. Okay, Marshal. Sure, it's okay, Hank. We'll be right along with you. Won't we, boys? We'll be
12: right
1: we'll be with
12: you. We ain't backing down one bit, Marshal. You better remember that.
3: Let's go, Chester. Did you finally get your telegraph? Yeah, just in time, it looks. I know.
1: That's quite a crowd waiting for you. Think there'll be trouble? Yeah, there could be. Anything you want me to do?
3: No. Uh, You better wait here.
1: All right. But you be careful now. Them friends, I think, sure look like the mean business.
3: Yeah, Sure. Marshal, now come in, like you said. I know you would, Hank. Let's get this over with, Marshal. I waited long enough. You've waited too long, Quillen. What? Hank, I want your friends to wait across the street over there. We ain't moving, Marshal. All four of you go over there and wait. No, you do what he says, Jim. Go on now. Jim, he ain't the kind of trick nobody. I mean it, boys. I got going. Well, come on, men, But we'll be watching. Quillen, let me see that warrant. You've seen it twice. Twice. Yeah. Well, ain't you going to look at it? I should have looked at it the first time. Huh? Close. I missed reading the date till Hank mentioned it was 12 years ago. What's that got to do with it? Twelve years is a long time, Quillen. That warrant's still legal. But it would have been forgotten by now if you hadn't have paid the sheriff and Prescott to go to the trouble to dig around and find it for you. And paid him something more to make you a deputy. What do you say? I Lord? hate men like you who go out after other men just for the reward money. You're a professional manhunter, and that's the worst. So, what are you? I'm a lawman. I never collected a reward in my life. Okay, do it your way, but I'm taking this man back. I got word this morning from a friend of mine in Prescott, Quillen. So? He says what I thought about you. You don't often get back with your prisoners. Huh? Too much trouble, I guess. Too much expense. You'd shoot Hank here for trying to escape before you reach the Colorado line. But you'd still collect the reward.
7: You're getting a lot of ideas, Marshal.
3: I got a couple more. Hank. Yeah, what, Marshal? I hear there weren't any witnesses to that murder 12 years ago. That wasn't no murder. Of course, I had to run anyways. Yeah, the sheriff was an enemy of yours. Well, I hear he's dead now. Mm-hmm. There'll be a circuit judge here next week. I think we'll let him decide all this.
7: No, you don't, Marshal. You don't cheat I'm
3: sorry, Quillen. You're going to have to earn your money someplace else. Marshal,
9: I'm warning you.
3: This is the only copy of the warrant for Ike Abbott there is, isn't it? You give me that. I'm going to tear it up.
9: I'll kill you if you do.
3: Hank's only worth $500 to you, Quillen. You can find bigger game than him. I said I'll kill you, you tear up that warrant. Even you're not that big a fool, Cullen.
7: Don't do it, Marshal.
3: Somebody has to. No! You killed him, Marshal. I misjudged him, Hank. He was worse than I thought. What? He wouldn't only kill a man for $500... He was willing to die for it himself.
4: Our
3: star, William Conrad. You know, on the frontier, men fought for fool's reasons, like a spilt drink. And they fought for good reasons, like fenced water. But next week, a man comes to Dodge who won't fight for any reason. And still wins his battle. And that was the West. Good night.
4: Gunsmoke. Produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Our story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Tom Hanley and Bill James. Featured in the cast were Lawrence Dobkin, John Daner, and Ken Lynch. Harley Bear is Chester, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Join us again next week for another specially transcribed story on Gun Gunsmoke.
0: 7th, 1956. That episode of Gunsmoke was entitled, Manhunter. Folks, that's going to kick things in the head for another week. We'll be back again in two weeks, and we're going to do it all over again. We're short on time tonight, so I have to get on out of here. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me.